Hello, and welcome to The Mastering Show. My name's Ian Shepard, I'm a mastering engineer, and I run the production advice website aimed at helping you get the best results recording, mixing, and mastering your music. And with me again, this episode is my co-host, John Tidy from reaperblog.net. Hi, John, how's things? Hello, everyone, I'm doing well. Excellent. Um, and this week, we are going to be talking about something. This is a topic we've touched on, I think, in a Q&A episode that we did a while ago. But um, it's something that quite a lot of people are interested in, and we thought it deserved its own episode. Uh, and that topic is STEM mastering. Literally the devil. <laughs> I was going to say, it, it seems to be a controversial topic to some people. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But I think before we do anything else, we should start out by defining what stems are, because even that seems to be a source of confusion, or at least what different people mean when they say stems. So, John, when you talk about stems, what do you mean? I think it depends on whether we're talking mixing or mastering. And even within mixing, I see people get this wrong or just using the wrong terminology. And I think some of the DAWs might use the wrong terms as well, which just further complicates things. So to me, stems are a kind of a submix of each different instrument group. So drums are a stem, all the drums together, vocals, guitars, bass. Um, there's usually just a few tracks for stems. And that's so that's not each individual track, each individual overdub as a separate track. Consolidated files are not stems. If you think about um, summing mixers, usually those are only eight channels and you're sending stems through those for stem mixing. And I guess that's similar, that leads into the stem mastering thing. There should only just be a few separate tracks, but it could just be two tracks. It could just be the instrumental and the vocal as separate files that gets delivered for mastering. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I was trying to think while you were, were talking there about how I, or where my idea of what stems are comes from. I don't know. It's not like I feel like I read it in a book anywhere or anybody really told me, but but I'm the same. It's at some point this idea that, oh, in this case, to get the best possible results, we're going to ask for a guitar stem separate from the rest of the mix. So you would have one stem, which was the guitar tracks only, because I want to do some kind of processing on those that's different from the rest of the mix. And then the the other stem would be everything else in the mix. Um, and yeah, in an, in an extreme case, I guess with a classic kind of band setup, you might have a drum stem, a bass stem, vocal stem, keys, guitars, and maybe I don't know, percussion and everything else. There is one time when I specifically got a guitar separate from everything else, and that's because they didn't have any noise reduction tools. And so in mastering, I was able to clean up that guitar blend it in with the rest of the instruments and have a cleaner master. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think that's the only situation that's ever, ever come up. If I'm mastering something, I want your mix. I want, you know, maybe send me two versions, one with master bus processing and one without, uh, so I can get an idea of what you're going for, what effects the mix relies on. Because if, if you're mixing through a compressor, the mix often just falls apart if you take it away. The mastering comes out better when you have both options. Most of the time, it's not necessary to send more than with and without compression on the master. 
sort of right. thing. I, I'm, I'm the same. I prefer, I, I mean, I, I literally prefer to master from stereo. Um, that's what mastering is to me. You know, it's, it's the stage after the mixing is completed. Um, and I guess this is where we come into the, the area of controversy, um, which we could, we could talk about a little because, well, it's interesting. You hear different perspectives on stems. There, apparently, there are some mastering engineers who always ask for stems from their, their clients. That's what they ask to be supplied, which feels weird to me. We can talk about that in a bit more. Some people completely refuse to master from stems and will only work from stereophiles. I'm kind of somewhere, well, I'm closer to that than I am to always asking for stems. It's like it's rare for me to ask for stems. And if a client asks if they can supply stems, I will usually try and persuade them not to. Um, mainly because, you know, well, I like to work on a mix as opposed to, you know, you introduce all these extra variables. If you have control over, the point of stems is to have extra control, but having extra control suddenly, you know, unlocks a whole load of other variables. And it, it does blur the line between mastering and mixing. And that's another kind of, that's the, I guess, the area that's slightly controversial. There are some mixers who argue very strongly that, there's no such thing as stem mastering. It's basically always stem mixing. Yeah, second stage of mixing. Yeah, which you know, again, I, I can see, I can see that point of view. It doesn't upset me particularly, and it does seem to upset some people. Um, they kind of get very passionate about it. Well, actually, no, I do know why that that upsets them. I think you know, for a kind of a, an experienced mixing engineer who is very confident of their abilities and very happy with the results they can get. To have a mastering engineer come in and say, without hearing the music, please send me stems, um, is actually somewhat offensive because there's a there's a yeah. an assumption there that the mastering engineer is going to be able to get a better result somehow than your than the mix you've been slaving over, um, and they haven't even kind of heard the mix to make that decision. So I do understand that point of view, and and really I I agree with it. You know, I prefer to get a a stereo mix, listen to it, and most of the times I will just work with that. And if there is something that I would have done slightly differently personally, well, okay, fine. But I'm the mastering engineer, not the mixing engineer. You know, it's uh, that was the artistic and creative decision that they made, and and I want to honour that. But occasionally, you do get a mix where there is usually it's a problem. You know, it's a specific. It's not an artistic or creative decision. It's like you say, noise on amp buzz and hum and hiss or something on a on a guitar stem or, or on the guitars in a mix or you know a noisy connection or distortion on one part that you you can't um improve enough without unpicking the mix slightly and it's usually because there's not enough time to to go back for a mix alteration or maybe you know the client doesn't access have access to the studio or the the, the budget isn't there or whatever and it's it's quicker and easier to get a stem in that situation i might ask for certain parts of the mix to be supplied uh, separately. Generally, I, I kind of agree that mixing is mixing, mastering is mastering. From the mixing engineer's perspective, I think a lot of mixers also have the experience where the band takes their mix, takes it to a mastering engineer, and it ends up completely different and not what we had mixed. We see stem mastering as allowing that to happen even more often or, you know, giving the, someone else even more control over your mix and taking it further away from how the mix was, you know, approved and finished. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, 
personally, I, I've had stuff that I've worked, you know, I'll, I'll spend a week mixing an album and then I hear the mastering back and I had no input on the mastering until it's released. And it's, it's only been wor made worse, I think. So, but at that point it's too late. And if it was stem mastering, then I could see it even being, you know, uh, tweaked by the, by the band and then resubmitted or, you know, there's all these other things that could go wrong and, and lose this focus from the project. Um, we're not working as a team anymore. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's another one of those, uh, Spider-Man processes, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. You know, you, you have the power to dramatically improve potentially a problem or, um, something that there isn't time to, to do a remix for. Um, but you also have the power to, to mess things up royally, uh, if you're not kind of don't have enough empathy with what the the band and the the original mixer were were trying to achieve. Um, so that's lots of reasons and to be kind of suspicious of using stems. Um, but we should probably talk a bit about the advantages, the benefits. Um, you know, I mean, you can sum it up by saying they give you more control. You know, they just give you the ability. You could, for example, go in and reduce the level of one instrument uh you know a classic example might be the balance between the bass drum and the bass guitar um if the drum is too prominent you maybe can't use enough eq to bring out the low end to get the the bass guitar to sing as much as you would like um without the kick kind of just being thunderous so to have more control over that can be helpful um a classic example is where you have one element of the mix is very bright and another element that's very dull that's when people kind of say to me, is there something you can't fix in mastering? That's often the example I give because, you know, you try and brighten up the dull thing and the bright thing gets way too bright. So you back off and then the dull thing sounds too dull again. Um, I think you need to be careful. Uh, the, just because, in my opinion, something is too dark and something is too bright doesn't mean that I'm right. Um, you know, when I get a mix where that's the problem, I don't immediately ask for a stem. I pick what I think is the best compromise between those those two levels um and maybe mention to the artist say you know here's what i've done i did wonder whether this element was a little bit too dull or this was a little bit too bright you know see what you think uh, if you would like to send me an alternative mix or or stems we can tweak that um and very often they're kind of like no that's that's entirely the way we we wanted it which i think is another reason not to jump in too early with stems you know the, the i think there's a risk if you get stems that because just because you can do something doesn't mean you should yeah. Which is a kind of general rule of mastering. I feel like for an artist, it is worth the the time and effort and money and whatever else to actually create the stems. There's a lot more places you can put your music when, when you have stems, but you don't necessarily need them for mastering. Yeah. I mean, stems are definitely um, a requirement, I think, especially if you want to get the music synced. Um, so if, if you offered the opportunity of having the music used for, for, for TV or film, or if you want to submit it to an agency so that it might potentially be used in future, um, that's a case where you definitely are required. You know, broadcast basically insists on stems. And I mean, actually, this might be an area where some of the confusion about what stems actually are comes from, because I believe I'm right in saying that in the broadcast world, a stem really can be every individual channel. It's consolidated. It's it's a unified file, as you say, without any edits, but it would probably include any effects, um, you know, reverb, delays, compression, chorus, all that kind of stuff would be there on the vocals or the guitars or whatever. 
And that's so that the people making the program have the control at the dub stage to uh, to do whatever they would like with the music for the creative purposes in the in the film or the TV program. You know, that's a very different scenario. I mean, it, I think there's a there's a a grey area there for in in broadcast of where the mix actually happens. I would say that the dub, which is you know where they're balancing the vocals with the music and the foley, the sound effects, and the music, that's really the mix stage. So when you're mixing for broadcast, in some senses, you're kind of only pre-mixing, I guess, um, because you have to be open to the fact that your decisions might be changed. Um, yeah. But that is a very different scenario. Um, but yeah, maybe that is where the, some of the, the confusion comes from. Um, I mean, other things that I can think of, we mentioned, you mentioned noise, um, you know, being able to denoise one instrument independently of the others in a mix um, is definitely the best way to go. You don't want to, you know, be denoising stuff that is clean. You don't want to denoise the entire master. No. Unless that's the only way. Like, um, we mentioned this in the restoration uh, episode, remastering episode. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, and I think the, and, and just it's worth recapping a quick tip <laughs> that I'm sure we mentioned in that episode, which is if you do have to denoise an entire mix or de-distort or de-click or whatever, you don't have to do it all the way through. Intros and outros. Intros and outros. Quiet yeah, parts. Breakdowns, um, quiet sections, exactly, um, are going to get you the best possible results. But yeah, if you can get access to the stems, I mean, ideally, I think we wouldn't be doing this. I mean, typically, yep. mastering That's an editing task. That's Exactly. That's an editing and mixing task. That's a kind of pre-mix task. Um, and quite aside from anything else, it's probably more expensive for us to do it than for, even if the, the artists have, have been to a professional recording studio, um, they can probably get it done. I mean, for one thing, it should if it's a, if if we consider it a problem at the mastering stage. I think if it wasn't a creative decision, then arguably it should have been fixed in the mixing stage. So it's effectively a fault of the mix. So that's the kind of thing I think probably studios should certainly be very flexible about fixing for people. But yes, if for whatever reason that's not possible, usually I would guess that the studio is not available. Then um, you know it can be helpful to be able to do it at the mastering stage. Stereo image is on your list, and I didn't really consider that until just now. And I think that would be a, a pretty useful way of, of using stems. This this comes back to mixing decisions, because anything I'm thinking of right now, or nearly anything I can think of with changing stereo image, is more of an arrangement change than than uh, than anything. So like, you know, like narrowing the guitars or the drums slightly in the verses, and then widening them in the chorus that's to me that's a mixed trick not a mastering trick what do you think i agree i mean i, th I think that's that's the theme of the whole subject really is that as yeah. soon as you get into stems you are effectively well you are you're, you're you're adjusting the mix you're changing something that used to be a pretty hard division you know you mixed you had a stereo mix on tape that was that then you would be mastering now with files and, and digital systems that that like all the other boundaries in the production process, um, writing, recording, producing, you know, all of them are blurred, and they kind of bleed into each other these days. So yeah, you're kind of rolling back towards mixed decisions. Um, but personally, I like to be able to tweak the stereo image of things um, in the mastering stage if I think that's going to be beneficial. It's often a change that clients appreciate. 
for example, let's say a fairly traditional song where most things are clustered fairly tightly in the centre of the image, but then you have a very broad and spacious reverb around them, often at the mastering stage I would like to try and open things out a bit to get some more separation and clarity between those those instruments that are kind of in the centre of the image. But if you try and do that, because you've got this very wide maybe reverb or chorus or some kind of other effects or ambience out at the edges, that starts to sound weird <laughs> if you apply any kind of stereo processing to the entire track. So that's an example of where, yeah, having the stems could give you more control. It's probably worth saying, you know, I mean, it does give you an amazing amount of control. There have been instances with a, quite a limited number of stems. You know, I mean, if you think that probably lots of mixes would be 24 or 30 plus tracks quite easily these days, if not if not hundreds, it's amazing how much you can achieve. I mean, A, in mastering in general and stereo, but even more with stem mastering. You know, if, if you start tweaking all of these things, if you maybe improve the EQ on one thing and do a bit of denoising here and tweak the stereo image of that and slightly shift the balance between those other things, you can get a kind of incredible night and day contrast um, between the original and the, the finished product. But that brings me on to, I think probably we should revisit the, the issues there are with stem mastering. And I would say that's actually... I don't know whether that's a problem because, I mean, you're doing your job, right? The mastering engineer's job is to yeah. make the music sound as good as it can possibly be. And you're still getting an outside perspective as so someone that hadn't, hasn't already slaved over the mix for hours or, you know, been the recording engineer and been with the band through all of pre-production. Mm -hmm. And it's another set of ears that can spot mistakes and things like that. So, you know, there's still that value of sending stems to a mastering engineer, but it... But yeah, with all the control, it's almost like a second mixing engineer. It is like a second mixing engineer. and it's Or a remixing engineer or something. Yeah, exactly. The, this per, the, there is definitely a perspective change when you're given 10 tracks to, to mix down versus 200 tracks. You don't have to worry about the small details, but you can kind of make these really big broad strokes changes and kind of change the vibe of the song with a lot less less intense uh, tools. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. And actually that raises a, a, something that I didn't have on the list of things to talk about, which is, is just to say that there's no question that STEM mixturing or mastering or how, whatever you want to call it uh, is fun. You know, it's yeah, it does because, I mean, it's great because you get all the best bits. You know, somebody else has done all of the slaving over the editing the drums and cleaning up all the, you know, you, you've got something that's almost finished. It's... It's kind of, I mean, it's one of the things that I like about mastering is you, you get all the glory without, uh, well, I don't say without any pain, but without a lot of the pain. Um, sure. But you, yeah, you have even more control and you you, it, it, you can end up appearing like a complete magician, which, um, you know, is is fun and nice for the ego. But yeah, it, maybe we should tell people to, yes, to do okay. STEM mastering right. more often. <laughs> we, we actually Rewind. want to do STEM mastering. <laughs> Let's start again. STEM mastering is great. Everybody should do it. Always send me step. No, it's well, okay, but here's the reason why not. And, and I think that is, I mean, it, it sounds a little bit kind of pompous now. I kind of think of saying it out loud, but the problem is that we're doing all the work. The, the client, all they, they just know, oh, my mix is sucked and the master was way, way better. Um, which, I mean, great, they paid their money, they got what they wanted. But for me, it's actually better. I mean, yes, we have that third person perspective and that outside, you know, that kind of instant first impression reaction and kind of say, 
you know what, this doesn't work quite the way you imagined it does, which is one of the values of mastering. But better to offer that as feedback and give the client the opportunity to, to think about it and decide, oh yeah, you're right, I'm going to tweak that and figure out how to improve on that themselves in the mix. It's a longer process and, uh, you know, it can take some some to and fro, but I know that that process, when I've been through it with my clients, they really appreciate that. And over, I mean, especially with clients who you work with on on many projects over many years, it's it's very satisfying for them and for me to see the, the standard of what they're sending me improve every time, you know, because every project is like, oh, we could do this. And oh, yeah, and then that those ideas are taken on board and they, they you know, it, it just gets better and better. So I think there's that's a really valuable part of the process. And if if you if all you do is say, oh, actually, send me stems, and then you hand them back this incredible polished thing, and they have no idea how that result was achieved, you take away that opportunity. So you know, I think that's definitely a disadvantage. And I think um, it's, I mean, there are clients where you kind of once you've been mastering for a while, you get this kind of sixth sense of thinking. I don't think this mix is going to get to where they want it to get. Um, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how, you, you know, you just, just in the, in the communication, cause I always go back with the comments first. I always offer them the, the chance to do it. And you'll get some clients who are like, Oh, you know what? I just don't even, I can't bear to revisit this thing. Please. Can you do it for me? So that's one thing. And then there are other clients where you think everything's going to be fine and they send you back a tweaked mix and Maybe they improved the thing that you wanted improved, but something else has gone wrong in the process. <laughs> um, you know, be it just yeah. an accidental change to a mix or a level has changed somewhere or, or at the, they get kind of did the thing that you talked to them about doing and then so, oh, I'll do this as well. And actually that didn't need to be done. Or, I mean, again, I can hear it. I'm, I'm judging. Well, of course we judge their mixes. We're mastering engineers. That's what you have to do. But those, those mixing engineers out there will say, well, who are you to tell me how to do stuff? That's the creative decision. But this is the thing. There's this gray area of, you know, there, there are fantastic mixing engineers where their decisions, whether I disagree with them or not, should stand. And then there are people who want that feedback and ask for it, and I'm happy to give it. And then there's that kind of middle ground where there's, you know, you have to make a judgment call. And really, for me, it comes down to efficiency because, you know, I allow two sets of alterations on every master uh, for free. And that's kind of minor things, you know, overall levels, EQ tweaks. If they want to supply a a new mix with um, they've spotted a mistake and they want to get it fixed, then I can swap that back in and rerun the, the master. You know, that's no big deal. So that's kind of built into the initial price. But if you have something where potentially stem mastering might be needed, at the point where you kind of have two or three back and forth with mix alterations, I think it gets hard. The communication gets harder. Everybody gets fatigued by the process. People get frustrated. You know, it, it's not a good, I guess, user experience for the, for the client. You know, they're not, it's not enjoyable. It just kind of gets, and at that point, I think it's better to say, actually, we can get there quicker if you're able to just send me this, this, and this. I'll make the changes. And then I'm happy to share with you what I did and why, if you like it, and we can move on from there. And I think, you know, figuring out when that's going to be the case is tricky but it is it's really valuable if and if you get it right then everybody's happy and if you get it wrong then it can make a mess <laughs> yeah I, I feel like the mix still needs to be done it should stand alone as a stereo file um and when you play out back those stems that should sound the same uh it should still you know work and 
if if someone is planning on sending stems for mastering, you might think that they would would call it quits a little bit earlier in the mix because it's going off to another person who's going to do the final balances and you know that that's not ideal for solving problems or when you get the creative control they want you to put your creative input onto the onto that uh and yeah and doing that on on eight tracks or even four tracks instead of just the stereo mix i think that's yeah potentially that's a, a great thing Again, it's, a, it's it's another it's another interesting kind of grey area. The, the difference between I mean, you're right. You know, there are some clients who will do their absolute best, but but love the the knowledge that, if necessary, you can tweak it even further. There's some people that hate the process. Yeah, and some people that yeah, love absolutely. the process. Yeah, and there's people who who want to learn, and there's people who just want it out and sounding great. Um, yeah, and and you know, just the, the quickest and shortest route to to that goal. Um, but yeah, I think that's a really good point about the mindset. You know, I think there is, it can be a positive thing in some cases and in others it can be a negative where they just kind of start to not bother to do things. Um, and that's, okay, so there's an element that we haven't talked about yet, which is just the risk with that is that if, you know, let's imagine that you you do a STEM master for one client and the next time they come around, they're like, oh, can you do that STEM mastering thing again? That was really cool. And you say yes. But actually because of that mindset shift, what they give you is not quite as finished as it was the previous time. That's more work for us to do as a mastering engineer. And that creates a tension because either they expect that extra work to be done for the same price, which puts more pressure on us, or we have to ask them for more money, which, you know, nobody, everybody would prefer to just kind of go by the existing rules. Um, so I think that can be a, a source of, um, you know, problems sometimes. So that's a good point. We mentioned, um, I mean, I think we've talked about the the effect that it can have on the artistic intent. You know, if there's this kind of disconnect between what the mastering engineer thinks uh, the mix or the master should sound like and the clients, that should be easy to minimize. You know, I think part of the process of figuring out who you're going to work with as a mastering engineer is listening to their stuff and deciding whether you like it or not. And, you know, you want to have good communication all the way through the process. Um, and one of the, you know, a mastering engineer needs to have a good empathy and understanding for what the client was trying to achieve. Otherwise, your master's always going to sound weird to them. So hopefully it wouldn't mess up the artistic intent because everybody is kind of in tune enough for that not to be the case. Um, but there's one uh, technical aspect that you mentioned in, in passing earlier on, which is just this the issue of bus compression. Um, you know, if you have a yeah a stereo compressor on the on the main output... I mean, one interesting way to think of stems that we haven't talked about before is is they could just be submixes. You know, but back in the day with an analog console, you would have whatever it was, 24 um, channels coming in, but lots of mixers would have four or eight stereo buses that you could do submixes to. So especially in live sound, you know, you would put all of the drums down to a stereo bus and all the keys down, and that meant that you could do little stuff like, you know, when it gets to the end of the, the song and everybody's thrashing on the <laughs> keys before the lead singer jumps up and you go Dung, to finish the song uh, the engineer can just push up the drum bus or whatever rather than having to move eight faders or ten faders you just move two um so that's another way of thinking of stems yeah if you're if you're doing any mastering or master bus processing when you create stems you really don't get that feel no i was i was going to say that those those um submixes have to be still have to be then go down to a stereo output um, and if that's where you have the the bus compressor, then yes, 
the effect of pushing those drums up against the bus compressor and making the whole mix pump, potentially, um, has a different artistic effect if you just send those stems separately and the mastering engineer doesn't know that that decision was made. Um, you know, I mean, that was an example from a live situation, but you might well choose to do the same thing in a mix um, of just, oh, I'm going to Defi- yeah, bring up the keyboards of this section or bring the vocals back or, you know, whatever it is. The way that you push one instrument against another and then having the the master bus push back or if you have any tape saturation or anything like that, that that all has a difference. Saturation, but uh, compression, things like that, that totally is input level dependent Mm. and so you when you take away the other instruments and play it through to render that stem you lose all of that that uh that special sauce uh there's some tricks to doing that but i don't think it's really i don't think there's really any quick practical foolproof method of, of rendering stems to have the exact same vibe when you play everything back. Well, I, I think you could uh, achieve something by via side chaining. I actually can never get my head around exactly how you would do this, but if you wanted to create stems that completely recreate the original mix, including the bus compression, it would be possible to do that. Each stem would have to be run separate, but you'd have submixes from the other stems feeding into the bus compressor, so it would react to them as well, right? So for the keyboard stem, you would hear the pumping that's triggered by the drums, even though the drums aren't in the mix. That would work technically. Right, you'd reroute all the tracks you're not hearing into the sidechain input of the compressor. Exactly, right. Um, That would give you a situation where the stems, when put together, do genuinely sound like the original mix with the bus compression. But the whole point of stems in mastering is to have individual control of the elements. So... I mean, probably that would work if all you were doing was minor EQ tweaks. Um, but I could imagine all kinds of other problems, kind of, you know, all those delicate relationships could completely fall apart if you pull the level of one stem back by a dB or so, right? It's like the the, the degree of pumping that was caused by that bus compression originally sounded right when the drums were at this level. But when you pull the drums back, it suddenly sounds weird and overemphasized. So even with a, a kind of... That would be quite a lot of work to set up, um, and it's quite clever. But I think in this, you know, in the situation of stem mastering, where you're then going to tweak those those stems, I I think often that could cause as many problems as it solves. Yeah, it it doesn't sound like it's worth doing if you're because the point of it is to change the sound of of everything together and get a better sound. Getting rid of the bus comp- uh, processing completely is the better way to do it. Yeah, I agree. And then, of course, the other thing you can do is you can, well, I would always ask if I was having stems for a a copy of their stereo mix as well, um, so that you can hear that kind of stuff. Um, You know, quite often in mastering, we're applying a bus compression type effect to help pull things together and improve the, you know, the cohesiveness of the the tracks. Um, But it's always interesting to hear what the artists did with that um, and make sure that, you know, we're, doing something similar um, because it's, a, it's an L2 slammed every time. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I really hope not. Okay. Well, I mean, I think that covers pretty much all of the, the points that um, I had in mind, unless you can think of we've, anything else. We we've gone for longer than I thought. So I think that's a good place to stop. Yeah. We haven't had a mastering maxim for a while. Here's a mastering maxim for STEM mastering, which is basically don't do it unless you have to. 
that would be my take on it. I'm not saying that all those engineers out there who ask for stems are wrong, but I think they are. Um, <laughs> the, it's, you know, I, if there's no time for the mix to be fixed, or if there's no budget, or uh, if everybody is thoroughly uh, fed up with the entire process and just wants to get the thing done and out the door, or you get this sense that actually it's not going to, you know, it's going to be much, much faster. Trying to achieve the results you want just by kind of communication is going to be a long and painful process for everybody. I think in those situations, STEM mastering is absolutely a valid approach. So, you know, I have made STEM masters in the past. I will make STEM masters in the future, but it's not my default. It's not my go-to. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I think one of those, you know, every so often techniques rather than um, business as usual, I would say. All right. I kind of want to do some STEM mastering now. Well, I mean, you know, go for it. It's, I mean, it is fun. It's, <laughs> you know, there's, there's no getting away from it. It's like, if, you, if you're a mastering engineer, you're going to be a bit of an egomaniac and a bit of a power hungry, you know, kind of perfectionist anyway. So, you know, but, but it is, it's a Pandora's box of um, Pandora's summing mixer or something. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's great. I think we hopefully there was something in there that was kind of useful and interesting for you guys. Uh, thanks, John, for uh, helping me fumble my way through it, as always, and for mixing the episodes. Yeah, this was a fun episode. Yeah, and if you found it useful and interesting, please uh, head over to themasteringshow.com forward slash review and let people know what you think, because that's a great way for other people to find the show. And thanks to Kaylee Law for letting us use his music. And thanks for listening. 